May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this year I turned 50, half a century old. And I'm only middle-aged if I plan to live to 100, which I'm not really sure is going to happen. They say the only person who wants to live to be 100 is the one who's 99. Um, So maybe there's some truth to that. But um, here are some of the things that I've noticed about getting older, especially in the last year or so, um, is uh, injuries. Um, A little bit after Easter last year, I um, went to bed as normal, perfectly fine. And I woke up injured. Um, I had injured myself in my sleep. Um, my, I, I apparently slept on my arm. And uh, you know how you get a stiff neck. Well, I had a stiff shoulder, or uh, you know. But it was more than that. I, I really couldn't lift it above, you know, like this high. Yeah, for like a month it was going on. And it just kept going on and on. And my wife says to me, Joe, go to the doctor. Men don't go, there's two things men don't do. We don't ask for directions, and we don't go to the physician, right? We don't do this. This is not, no, I said it'll be fine. I just need to put an ice pack on it or something like that. And I kept going on and on and a little bit of Tylenol and a little bit of time. And now I'm, I'm just fine. Well, maybe not just fine. I still feel a little bit of that tendonitis in there. But it must have just been deep-seated or whatever and just lasted forever. I also know other little injuries. Um, the other day, my ankle was hurting, and for no apparent reason. I hadn't twisted it. I haven't even been running, so I, don't, I can't even have that as an excuse. You know, maybe I walked down a step too hard or something like that. There are all these little injuries that keep happening to me. And here's the, uh, you know, the, um, the insult to these injuries. is I went to get um, glasses, and the doctor says to me, um, I'm afraid we need to fit you for bifocals. I'm like, oh, that's why I'm doing this all the time. Yeah, that's why you're doing that all the time. So now I have these glasses that I can see you with and I can see this with, which is amazing. It's like great. The only thing is, it, um, I remember when my mother got bifocals and I made fun of her for a week. And, um, and now here it is happening to me. These little injuries that lead up to little things, but the bifocals were the biggest one. You know, that you can see, and now I can see close and far away. The prophet Isaiah has a place where he can see. Uh, if you would, take your bulletin, if you uh, open it up to the Old Testament lesson. The prophet Isaiah seems to be in um, worship in the temple Because he makes this note about the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The ancient temple in Jerusalem, this um, massive building, not not overly large, there were bigger temples in the world, but it was an ornate and gorgeous building, a place where heaven and earth overlapped, where God dwelled among the uh, midst of his people. Not like a church where we have all these places where all of them, the people of God, gather and it's a place where heaven and earth overlap. This is the one special place for Israel. And so to go to the temple was to go to that one place, that one portal where heaven and earth overlap. And Isaiah enters into this and suddenly 
like he has spiritual bifocals on. He can see the Lord. Did you notice that? I saw the Lord. I saw Yahweh. This is, um, this is the name of the Lord. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his temple, or his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe, just the, just the hem, the bottom part. Uh, the, the, um, it's as if Isaiah averts his eyes, right? He doesn't mention the countenance of God. He doesn't mention what God looks like. He sees the Lord, but he looks away as if he's looking towards his, his, his garment because he will not dare to look upon him. He also sees um, uh, uh, seraphim, right? And above him stood the seraphim, each six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. He sees the seraphim, these flying angelic um, warriors. He hears them. And the place is filled with smoke. He, it's as if all of a sudden all of Isaiah's senses are aware of the presence of God and that he is in this holy place. And all of a sudden the earth begins to quake and he feels it. And he will taste a fire. This, this highly sensory event. that He's in the presence of the Lord and he knows he's in the presence of the Lord. And then this is an awesome and terrifying reality. He becomes aware both of God's transcendence. That God is not like Isaiah. He is so much bigger. I think this, is a, this uh, sort of spatial language is metaphoric. That his, his robe filled the entire temple. You know, just the, the hem of his garment. I think it's Isaiah's way of saying, I got a vision of God. I saw him and he's so much bigger than we can imagine. Um, there was this book written by J.B. Phillips, I think in like the 60s, maybe early 70s. It was entitled, Your God is Too Small. The sense that a lot of us have that God is um, incapacitated or, or weak in the face of contemporary problems. Isaiah says, I saw God and he is amazingly beyond anything that our minds can get, you know, can get wrapped around. He is transcendent. He is different than us. He is holy. And it, the word holy actually means that. It means unique, one of a kind, set apart. God is holy. He is not like human beings. And yet, He's close, isn't He? He's close enough that Isaiah can, can get a glimpse of Him, that He sees into heaven, that He sees uh, uh, into the presence of God, that He sees that he is close by. He's in the temple, as it were. Isaiah has passed through that portal. That portal between heaven and earth. And he is, he's entered into it and he realizes that God is not far away, but God is close. God is close at hand. But once he becomes aware of the presence of God, what else does he become aware of? And you know it. He becomes aware of himself. Look at verse 5, will you? And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. 
God of the angel armies is what um, uh, Eugene Peterson translates this. He becomes aware of it. There's no denial, is there? There's no saying, you know, I'm really not that bad. Actually, I'm a pretty good person. The prophet Isaiah doesn't say, you know, I know I don't measure up to God, but overall I'm doing all right. There's no denial. There's no excuses. Well, what do you expect? I mean, look at these sweats that I live around. I mean, he doesn't say that. He doesn't even try to mitigate it. If only I had been born into a different family. You know, I, I wonder if my sons ever say that. If only I had been born into a different family. He doesn't try to mitigate. He doesn't excuse. He doesn't deny. He just simply owns up to it. Why? Because there's no sense in denying it. There's no sense in trying to excuse it. He is standing in the presence of Almighty God. Woe is me. I am undone. His admission is clear. And his sin is more than just his words. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Speaking sinfully in the ancient Eastern world, this is just a, a, an image of the, what comes out of us is what's already inside of us. You hear this in Jesus, for instance. Remember where um, the, the, in, in Mark chapter 7, there's a story of, of Jesus' disciples who are eating with unwashed hands. That is, unbaptized hands. They haven't ceremonially clean, uh, cleansed themselves. Um, it, it's, a, uh, it, it's something that's still practiced in Orthodox Judaism to this day. Um, when I was in Jerusalem, you go to the temple, or to the temple, to the, uh, the Western Wall, which is where the temple used to be. You go to the Western Wall, the holiest site in Judaism, and when you go up, the very first thing you do before you enter into that area, a courtyard, you stop and you baptize your hands. Not to clean the dirt off of them, but to make yourself cleansed as you enter into the presence of God. This is carried over into the church with the idea of holy water, uh, the washing of hands before, we, um, before the priest celebrates uh, the Holy Communion. All of this is cleansing ourselves. But in the ancient world, you did this because of what was inside of you. And Jesus picks up on this and he says, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of them that defiles them. Not just in their speech, but in the whole of their lives. And Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I, live, I, I am a sinful person, and I live among sinful people. And then something happens. The angel flies away, right? The angel goes off to the altar with an with, with a, a, a instrument, pulls a coal from the, from the altar, flies back to Isaiah, and places it upon his lips. Hopefully he brought chapstick along with it too. But he, he touches his lips and, and cleanses him. This is the angel says, right? That one of the seraphim, verse 6, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. He receives grace without even asking for it. He simply admitted who he was and God did for him what he could not do for himself and cleansed him of the sin. Well, look at verse 8. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? God is not speaking to Isaiah. 
God is speaking in His own counsel. Um, who will go for us? This, this sense of, uh, of God is, is making a, a deliberation. And Isaiah is privy to that. He hears this call. Who will go for us? The only time in all of Holy Scripture that someone volunteers. He volunteers. No one asked him, Isaiah, will you go? No. He's that kid in the back of the class. Usually a kid sits in the front of the class, doesn't he? Oh, 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 oh. I, you know, remember, if you're old enough to remember, if you're 50, you're old enough. Um, uh, what was that show called? I can't even remember. Welcome back, Kata. Yeah, and, and there was the kid who always, oh, 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 I know the answer. This is Isaiah Horshack. That was his name, wasn't it? Oh, I, I know the answer. Send me. Send me. God calls to Abraham. Abraham. Here I am. Moses, here I am. Samuel, here I am. Who will go for me, for us? Here am I. Send me. He volunteers for a mission. And then there's a paradox that goes on. Who will go? And so God says, go and say to the people, that is to the people of Israel, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive, Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and their eyes blind, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. Turn and be healed. I think that what the prophet is seeing and hearing is that God is sending him on a mission that is impossible. You're going to speak to people who are not going to respond, you're going to preach to people who are not going to repent. You're going to preach to people who are going to just bury their head and not listen to you. This isn't going to work. You know, your, your preaching mission is not going to work. Guess what's going to happen? Uh, verse 11, how long, the prophet asked, um, how long do I have to go about doing this? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. What's going to happen if sometime after Isaiah's preaching mission, is the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy Judah. And they're going to take people hostage as exiles. He says 90% of them are going to be gone, either dead or taken as exiles. The place will be a desolate wasteland. And that's when your mission's going to be finished. Go preach to people who are not going to listen and refuse to repent. The prophet Isaiah is sent to Israel because, as a preacher, because Israel has turned away from God. And he's sent to preach this message, repent, turn. God will judge if you do not. They didn't listen, they didn't repent, and God did judge. And they, did give sent, they were sent into exile. And I thought about how in our own age, there is widespread apostasy. Not just in the country. I mean, not just a fact of, oh, um, America needs to return to God again. Of course. But in the church. See, Isaiah is preaching to the church, to Israel. My son sent me this week this um, link to a story that was, um, I think it was uh, the BBC, maybe the New York Times, I can't remember. Um, a pastor of a church in Canada, 
who has for years declared herself to be an atheist. She is an atheist and the pastor of a um, congregational church in Canada. And they refused to remove her. Um, she was on trial for heresy, and for some reason that the, the trial was um, was ended, and she was allowed to remain in her parish, and her parish wants her to be. She doesn't believe in God, and she's the pastor of a church. <laughs> it gets weirder. Um, I, there was a, 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 a I, there was an Episcopal priest, a woman out west, who claimed that she was a Muslim Christian. She was an Islamic Christian. You cannot be a Muslim and a Christian by definition. It's like being a married bachelor. It doesn't work. You cannot do this, right? And yet here this person was. A Muslim Christian. And you know, I could go through a litany of other things. One of the most egregious is a bishop about 15 years ago wrote, I can say the first four words of the Apostles' Creed, but I choke on my vomit with the rest. All this bishop could say was, I believe in God. <laughs> That's it. Not a Trinitarian belief, not a Christian belief. Listen, it's not the apostasy in the world that ought to frighten you. It's the apostasy in the church that ought to frighten us. And Isaiah is sent to preach to these people and no one's going to listen. But worse than that, he volunteered for it. <laughs> oh, here I am. Send me. And I wonder if we would do the same thing. If we would draw close to God, even today. If we got a vision of the Lord. If we saw Him. And we could understand His holiness and His eminence. His transcendence and His proximity. If we could get our heads around that, we really believed in this sort of God. And we recognized who we are in ourselves, our own sinfulness, our own failures. And if we would have the courage to volunteer. I want to make a difference in this world. Send me. I mean, I guess in order to have a vision like that, we would need... Some spiritual bifocals, wouldn't we? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.